Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted those accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. You may be seated. Thank you, Ruth. As we get seated, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you we've been folded into your love. So we ask now that you would teach us from your word. You would teach the kids downstairs from your word that we would all see a bit more of your beauty. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm on the team here. I want to add my welcome to John's welcome as we open up God's Word this morning. So, to begin, fill in the blank for me. Authority is to be fill in the blank. How would you fill in the blank? Authority is to be questioned, obeyed, rejected, respected, held accountable, examined, feared, shared, overthrown. Many other words besides these. Talking about authority is tricky, isn't it? Because there are so many ways that we view authority. And, and on top of that, for many of us, our view of authority has been shaped by experiences of bad authority, or at least stories of authority misused and abused, CEO fired for abuse of authority. Prime Minister resigns due to scandal, leader steps back due to moral failure. And that's why today's passage is so tricky because today's passage is all about authority. In fact, it's about coming under authority. When scripture is read, some of you may already have noticed the word subjection comes up so many times, six times in two verses. Subjection means to come under or to be brought under authority. I think we'd all agree that Talking about authority is a tricky subject, but I think that's why today's passage is especially important for us in our cultural moment today. Because today's passage invites us to just take a pause, to take a pause and reconsider what authority is in light of the gospel, in light of who God is and God's plan for the world. So we've got two points for this morning. The purpose of Jesus' reign, and the promise of Jesus' reign. Purpose and promise. So let's get into it with our first point, the purpose of Jesus' reign. Let's start by recapping where we are in 1 Corinthians. 
1 Corinthians is, is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago. And we've been going through it for a while, now we're in chapter 15, where Paul is, is pushing back against those who claim, who say that there is no such thing as a bodily resurrection from the dead. And in verse 20 to 24, which Brett preached last week, we saw that the resurrection is so important because it's part of a chain of events that culminate in God's total reign over the whole world. Look at verse 23 and 24. It says, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. You see, verse 23 tells us that the resurrection of Christ is the first fruits, meaning it's the guarantee of victory over death, the guarantee that everyone who belongs to Christ will too be risen from the dead. Verse 24 goes on to tell us that Jesus' victory over death is part of his destruction of every rule and every power and authority that opposes his reign as king. And that brings us to our passage for this morning. Verse 25 builds on verse 24 by giving us the purpose of Christ's reign. Look at verses 25 and 26 with me. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Verse 25 opens with the phrase, for he must reign. It's the language of kingship. Jesus is ruling and reigning as king over his kingdom, and he will rule and reign until the, past, the, the verse tells us he has put all his enemies under his feet, including death. The enemies are, are, are all those who oppose Jesus' reign as king, all rulers and authorities, and powers, social, political, economic, ethical, even spiritual. And then verse 27 makes the same point that Jesus' reign and authority is over all things. Look at verse 27, for God has, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And like I mentioned just now, the word subjection means to come under or to be brought under authority. God the Father has put all things under Jesus' authority. And before we go on, I need to point out the obvious here. All things mean all things. Some of us may have noticed it already. Paul uses the word all over and over and over again, 10 times in verses 24 to 28. Because he's emphasizing over and over and over again, Jesus is the rightful king over all, and will continue to reign until all have come under his good and right authority. All things means all things. That means me, that means all of us in this room, and that means everyone outside of this room. And that's where it gets a bit difficult, doesn't it? Many of us struggle with the idea of coming under authority of anyone, even if it is God. We're okay with receiving the benefits for being a Christian. We're okay with, we like the idea of community. We, we like being free from sin. We like the idea of having eternal life. But we're less okay with subjection, with coming under an authority that is not ourselves. And that's why this passage is so important because Jesus shows us that coming under authority can be good. It can be right. Look at the second half of verse 27. 
It tells us, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. It's a bit confusing. So, so let's take time to go through what Paul is talking about here because he's being very careful. He's being very intentional with what he's saying here. God is a triune God, meaning he is three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is equal in status but has different roles. Let me say that again. Each of the three persons is equal in status but different in roles. So what Paul is describing in verse 27 is that he's describing their different roles. See, God the Father has put all things under the Son's authority. But, he, but Paul makes clear, God the Father doesn't come under the Son's authority. In fact, we see that because of their different roles, equal in status but different in roles, once the purpose of Jesus' reign is fulfilled, once he has brought all creation under his authority, we see what happens. Jesus will then bring himself under the Father's authority so that God takes his place as creator and ruler of all. Look, look at verse 28. It says, When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, meaning the Son himself will also be brought under the authority of the one who put all things under his authority that God might be all in all, meaning that God might be creator and ruler of all. We need to be careful, and we're taking time to go through this, because in the history of the church, many, uh, many a disaster has happened because people have taken the wrong conclusion from what God is like. The way we live is a function of what we think God is like, so we need to get this really clear. So I'm going to say this again. Jesus the Son is equal in status to the Father. Jesus the Son is in no way inferior to God the Father. And I also make, need to make clear, this is different for the way we relate to God. We are not equal in status to God the Father. But, we, but the point here is that Jesus shows us that coming under authority of someone can be good. In fact, it can be Right? And in fact, Jesus doesn't just show us that coming under authority can be good and right. He redeems our understanding of authority. He does this by showing us God's plan for authority in creation. Because what we see is that authority was part of God's plan from the very beginning. We see this in Psalm 8. Look from verse 3. How God created humans to take up the authority of ruling creation on His behalf. Let me read from verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given, you have given him dominion, meaning authority, over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. See, the psalmist is, is, is addressing God and talking about how God created humans and gave all humans a job to do. God crowned humans with, with glory and honor and gave humans authority over all creation to exercise authority over creation on God's behalf. But we all know the problem of what happened then, don't we? Humans sinned. 
Human sin and so authority and everyone and everything else became corrupted by sin. And, and humans, if we're being honest, have done a pretty bad job of ruling over creation, haven't we? We exploit instead of cultivate. We steal instead of give. We harm instead of heal. See, all creation was corrupted by sin and every day, all of us, each of us, experience the consequences of sin every day. Natural disasters and unnatural disasters. Drought and plagues and murder and sickness and suffering and death. But even as we experience the symptoms of sin, we need to be clear that sin is the root of the problem. You see, living under bondage to sin is like trying to find directions with a broken compass. A, a compass is supposed to help give us directions by telling us where north is. But if a compass is broken, if it can't tell you where north is, you just end up getting the wrong directions. And that's what it's like living under bondage to sin. It's like trying to find directions with a broken compass. We'll just keep getting lost. You see, when we talk about the problems with authority, the root problem isn't actually authority. The root problem is sin because sinful people will always do sinful things. A broken compass will always send us in the wrong direction. So, you know, so many protests and revolutions are actually right to mourn and in fact protest problems with authority. But the problem is, protests and revolutions, they, they, they get the solution wrong because the root problem isn't authority. The root problem is sin. In fact, you could say that protests and revolutions never go far enough because regardless of how the revolution ends, how authority is structured after power to one person, power to a committee of people or power to all the people, after the dust settles, there will still be problems because everyone's compass is still broken. You see, revolution will never be enough without redemption. Revolution will never be enough without redemption from sin until the compass is fixed. We will keep getting lost. We can see where I'm heading with this, can't you? What we need is, is someone in authority who has no sin. And in fact, ideally, that person would be able to rescue us from the power of sin so that he, he doesn't just tell us where we can go, he empowers us to be able to go where he tells us where we should go. And that's exact, exactly why Jesus had to come. See, Jesus was the only one worthy of authority. He's the only one wise enough and loving enough and powerful enough to reign over all creation, the only one able to show us, to redeem for us what authority was meant to be from the very beginning. Jesus redeems our view of authority, and as he does that, he shows us that he is unlike any authority this world has ever seen. And even as I was preparing for this, I realized if you've been a Christian for long enough, I think we tend to take for granted how radically countercultural Jesus was as an authority figure. See, Jesus is a gentle and lowly king. Jesus came not to burden us, but to take our burdens. 
to give us rest, to give us eternal life. See, even the pain that he allows us to experience is like a wise doctor who is healing our wounds. In fact, it's by his wounds that we are healed. Jesus is the good shepherd who gave up his life for his sheep. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He came not to sacrifice others, but to sacrifice himself for others. Do we see how different this is? See, Christ City, when we see who Jesus is, we see that his authority is not just something we need to come under, it's actually something we want to come under. When our eyes are opened by his spirit to see who Jesus is, we see that his authority is not just something we need to come under, it's authority we want to come under. Because it's authority we were created to come under and praise God Because we have been redeemed, it is authority we can come under. But even as I talk about this, I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that there are some of us, perhaps many of us here, who struggle with seeing God as an authority because we have had terrible experiences with authority. Perhaps you've even had terrible experiences with authority in your church. And if that's you, I just want to, and you say, I'm, I'm so sorry that you've had to go through that. And as, and as your church family, if there's any way we can walk alongside you and serve you and support you as you walk along this journey, please let us know how we can do that. But I also need to say that it's okay to struggle. And as you get to know Jesus, you'll see why I say it's okay to struggle. As you struggle, keep looking at Jesus because he's the only one who can help us through that struggle. He's the only one who can save us because Jesus is the king who meets us wherever we are. Jesus didn't come just to redeem us in our view of authority. He came to redeem us. Look at verses 25 and 27. Paul uses the same phrase in both verses. He says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And we jump down to verse 27. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. The, the idea of putting all things, putting all enemies under his feet, if it looks familiar, it's because Paul is referencing Psalm 8 verse 6. It says this, You have given him dominion, meaning authority, over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Paul is quoting Psalm 8 because he's making a really important point here about God's plan for authority in creation. Because Psalm 8 doesn't just tell us about the job that humans failed to do. It tells us, it gives us a promise of one who would come to finish the job. Psalm 8 doesn't just tell us about the job God gave humans to do that we failed to do. It's also a promise that he would send another human to finish the job and live the life that we were supposed to live. Psalm 8 is a promise that Jesus redeemed humanity by living the life we were supposed to live, finishing the job that we were supposed to finish, and then dying the death that we were supposed to die as a consequence of our sin. You see, when Jesus came back to life, it is the guarantee of the new life that we have in Him, that we have been redeemed 
that we have been redeemed and freed from the power of sin and death, and that he will continue to reign until his work is complete. So what do we do with this? One practical way we can apply this is in the way we pray. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us how to pray. And I want to focus on the first half of the prayer. Look look from verse 9. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, praying this doesn't mean we can't be honest with God about what we want or how we feel. But it does teach us that as in our walk with God, as we talk to God, as we pray, our posture with God has to always be one where we acknowledge His good and rightful authority as King. Of wanting His authority as King to be established everywhere, of trusting that He knows best as we ask Him to help us align our will with His. And so we need to ask ourselves, Christ City, have we brought ourselves under God's authority? I should put it another way. What areas of our lives do we struggle to bring under God's authority? Do we regularly confess the areas and ways that, that we reject God's authority? Do we then respond by asking God to help us bring those areas under His authority? Do we trust God enough to do what He says is right rather than what we feel is right? Do we trust in His provision even when we can't see how He will provide? You see, we keep using the word trust because key to applying the purposes of Jesus' reign is trusting in His promises. Trusting that the promises of His reign will come true, which brings us to our second point for this morning. The promise of Jesus' reign. See, I want us to notice something in verse 25. Paul writes that Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. When Paul uses the word must, he means nothing can stop God's purposes. What God intends to do, he will do. Therefore, Jesus must reign until all creation comes under his authority because that is what God intends to happen. We see this tone of certainty again later on in verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. We can see how Paul has worded this statement in such a way that there is total certainty. Total certainty that what is promised will be fulfilled. Death will be destroyed. We see this certainty again in verse 28 when all things are subjected to him. It's a matter of when and not if. When and not not if all things will come under Jesus' authority. So one one of our boys cycles to school every day. And so every day, we have we have a rhythm of checking the weather forecast to try to make sure he packs the right gear. If it's going to be cold, we try to make sure he's warm enough. If it's going to be wet, we try to make sure he packs his rain gear. The thing about the weather forecast, as many of you know, is that it works on probabilities. It's not definite. 40% chance of rain, 20% chance of snow, and even then, it can be very wrong. And so there's always an element of uncertainty when making plans of the weather forecast. The point here is this. 
The promises of Jesus' reign are nothing like the weather forecast. The promises of Jesus' reign are nothing like the weather forecast. They, they, don't, they don't deal with probabilities, they deal with certainties. They're definite. We can be 100% certain that things will happen exactly as God promises. So what does this mean for us? Let me suggest two ways for us to respond. Firstly, we can have assurance. Verse 25 tells us that he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The word until reminds us that something is going on. Something is going on during Jesus' reign, even when we may not be able to see it or feel it or even understand it. It tells us that Jesus' reign has a purpose, that he put all his enemies under his feet, and that he promises that he will continue to reign until all his purposes are fulfilled. What this means is that even when we don't see it, or feel it, or even understand it, we can have assurance that God is at work. And I don't know how many of us need to hear that this morning. God is at work. Even when you don't see it, you can't feel it, you can't understand it. God is at work to destroy the enemy. Even when it seems like the darkness is winning, we can trust that the darkness will never win. The darkness will never win because the light of the world has come. Jesus is at work even at this very moment to destroy the darkness. Even when we fear or mourn, the pain of sickness and death, though we cannot see it or feel it or even understand it, we can trust that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When we are tempted to doubt that Jesus will win, remember, Jesus has already won. He has already been raised from the dead. This is why Paul spends so much time in chapter 15 defending the truth of the resurrection because the resurrection is our guarantee. It's our guarantee that Jesus has already won. It's our guarantee that his victory over death has already begun and will be completed. And so as we... As when we can't see it or feel it or understand it, we ask God to help us drag the, the truth and assurance of the future into our presence. The promise of His glorious light into the darkness that we are experiencing right now because the light of the world has already come. And one day there'll be no more darkness. Jesus' resurrection assures us that He is at work. He's at work to destroy all evil, but it also assures us that all who belong to him will one day be made alive. Look at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. I love that phrase. Those who belong to Christ. It's, it's so personal, isn't it? We belong to Christ. We are His. We are of His family. You see, Jesus' resurrection means that we can have full assurance that we belong to Christ. Even amidst our ups and our, down, and, and our downs, 
We can have assurance because our assurance depends completely on God and nothing on us. Verse 22 talks about, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus is the one who makes us alive. We don't make ourselves alive. A dead person cannot bring themselves back to life. Even our ability to put our faith in God is a gift of grace. Our assurance rests solely on who Jesus is and what he has done. Because while we were still sinners, Jesus died for our sins, rescuing us, redeeming us from the penalty and bondage of sin so that we could be free. Free to live for him, free from the dominion and authority and bondage of sin. Romans 6.14 says this, For sin will have no dominion over you. For sin will have no authority over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And praise God, we are under grace. For those of, our, for those of you here who don't yet know the assurance of belonging to Jesus, the freedom of being, living free from the dominion and authority of sin, would you consider Jesus' invitation this morning? Would you consider his invitation to belong to him today, to be free? Talk to the person you came with. Or, or talk, you can come talk to me or any one of the other staff. We would love to walk these next steps with you. For, so first application, assurance. Second application, purpose. Purpose. The assurance that Jesus has destroyed and will destroy the power of sin and death means that we are free, free to live with a new purpose. As those who belong to Christ, we're now, to, we're now free to live the mission that Christ has given us in, in Matthew 28. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, with all the authority given to him, he gave all Christians a mission. Let me, let me read it for us from verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As those who belong to Christ, we are free to have new life and new purpose. Under his authority, Jesus sends us out in the power of his spirit to, to bring all creation under his kingship, which means that every day and in every place, we are on mission from God. We are on mission from God to bring about his rule everywhere. And so we need to ask ourselves in, in this moment, every day and in every place, how are we communicating God and his authority? But even as we're on mission, our passage gives us a really important reminder that we must not make, we must not mistake who the enemy is. You see, as Christians, especially when you become the minority, it's very tempting to draw battle lines and say that all non-Christians are the enemy. And then when we have conflict with other Christians, it's very tempting to draw even smaller battle lines and say that everyone who doesn't agree with me is the enemy. Christ City, we do need to be wise in how we carry out God's mission, but we need to be clear what the mission is and who the enemy is. We need to be careful who we're drawing battle lines against. Sin is the enemy. The devil is the enemy. Those who are in bondage to sin, 
Those who are struggling with sin don't need our hatred. They don't need hostility. They need a savior. They don't need our hostility. They need a savior the same way that we need our savior. They need redemption more than revolution. They need the power of the gospel to to rescue them from their sins so that they too can come under our Savior's good and wise and gentle and humble authority. Christ said, in a city that is so divided over authority, let's unite under God's authority. The authority of Jesus Christ to carry out His mission in the power of His Spirit. Let's stand as we respond to God's word.